everyone, I'm Jennifer Duck, and today we're getting grounded on purpose. This is certainly my most public timeout, and I'm not taking it lightly. My intention is to create a space where we can learn, reconnect, and grow together with some of the most inspiring thought leaders, colleagues, and friends who can help each one of us find our purpose. So take a time out with me and let's dig in. Today, we have a very special episode with a dear friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Mary Ellen Pethel. Mary Ellen is not only the shortest point guard I've ever met, disclosure, I've never met Muggsy Bogues, though I'm a big fan of his too. Mary Ellen is also one of the smartest, kindest, and purposeful people I have ever met. She is an author, historian, digital humanist, academic entrepreneur, creator of a beloved historical walking tour app called Nashville Sites, and is an assistant professor at Belmont University. Mary Ellen and I have taught several classes together, but the one class that has always intrigued me that I don't get to teach with her yet, I'm working on it, is a class called A Good Life. And good news, she's bringing a bit of that lesson to us today free of charge. So what is a good life? Maybe to get to that question, we have to ask one of the world's most pondered philosophical questions. What is the meaning of life? Even those all-knowing robots in our homes struggle to answer this. I asked Siri, and she likens the meaning of life to a box of chocolates. Alexa responds simply with the number 42, an inside joke for those who've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I definitely had to Google that one. I did not ask the shark robot vacuum because I fell into a trance, as I do most days watching it clean my whole house for me. Seriously, that thing is one of the most treasured Christmas gifts, and I would argue you can get your wife a vacuum for Christmas if it's a robot who cleans for her. Anyway, back to our $64,000 question, let's tackle what makes a good life with someone who knows it well. Mary Ellen Pethel, welcome to Grounded on Purpose. Thank you, Jen. And uh, I'm now going to hire you full-time to do all my introductions. <laughs> <laughs> You're on. I'm hired. I like okay. it. So we're going to get into a good life and have you answer all the secrets of the keys to happiness in just a minute. No pressure, Mary Ellen. But first, I want to tell everyone how we met. So I told everyone about your petiteness in the intro, which I'm sure you loved. And I remember seeing your small frame in the halls carrying these two grocery bags of Play-Doh. I have two little girls and way too much Play-Doh at my house. So I stopped you and I said, Hi, I'm Jen. What are you doing with all that Play-Doh? And basically, you had me at hello. <laughs> so tell everyone, what were you doing with all that Play-Doh on a college campus? That's right. Yes, petite's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is small but mighty, I'll just say for there the record. Go. But no, the, no, I, I taught a class called The Good Life. It was for college freshmen, and it was right after lunch. So if you have ever... Um, been in a class as a student or if you've ever been a teacher after lunch, it's tough. It's tough. It's nap time. So you have to find a way to try to wake them up. And on top of that, we were studying ancient philosophy in this class. And, uh, you know, that's not usually something that blows your hair back. So we uh, were doing uh, Plato and his philosophies. And so I b brought in Play-Doh as in the D. O-U-G-H version. And we talked about some of his main ideas uh, about with government and truth and virtue. And then I passed out, I put them in groups and I passed out two different colors of Play-Doh to each one of them. And I gave each group an assignment and I said, you need to discuss the definition 
of the following words, truth, justice, freedom, virtue, and happiness. And then as a group, you need to figure out, because these are very abstract terms, you need to figure out some way to mold a representation that represents your term, that concept, and then you need to be able to explain it. And that's what they did. And they came up with some really interesting things and honestly had a very interesting conversation. And I can say that uh, with certainty, um, no one took a nap that day in class. And the secrets to happiness were done. It's Play-Doh. It's done. It's Play-Doh. It's done. (laughs) You already answered the question. Um, Another theme, though, I think in that class that I'm always fascinated with and something in general that I I really um, am drawn to that we forget as humans is that famous philosophers, writers, entrepreneurs, presidents, really a lot of these successful people often have to fail before succeeding. And that's a big lesson. And I think in this instant gratification society, we forget how important failure is. Is failure one of the keys to how we truly live a good life? Absolutely. I love quotes. So you may hear a few while we're talking today. I just kind of have like a quote bank in my head. And uh, I think it's because I'm sort of a wordsmith at heart. I love to write, but I always feel like somebody's already said it better. Um, And so a a quote that I quite often use is, uh, rough waters make for great sailors. And the idea of that is that it's not until you are under stress or that you do have adversity that you have to you have to deal with the problem in the moment. Like you you the way you respond matters. And if if you're struggling with something or you're having stress or you're having issues, I think one of the first steps uh, when you're in those rough waters is to figure out like what can you do about it what's in your control and what's not in your control but also to try to zero in on the problem itself and to make sure you identify the problem if if you're um if if you failed at something get at the root of why did i did that fail and and so that you can better course correct oftentimes we just deal with the emotion of of rejection or failure or what have you and we're just bummed about it but we don't learn from it the way that we should and i think that quote uh, you know if you if if you emerge from those rough waters and you survive you are a better sailor you know how to then handle the next situation um maybe in a more effective way and you know you can't i'll keep i'll keep going with the sailing water metaphor but like you can't st- stop the wind from blowing Mm-hmm. But you can set your sails so that you, and I'm about to rhyme, and I didn't even mean to, keep on going. Yeah. So, but I think that's a big part of it. I mean, you you are in charge. You, you do uh, command the ship. And so it's how you handle that failure and learn from it. I think those are such great points on failure. And it's something that we have to always remember because we all fail, right? We all have to find how to pick ourselves up again, how to become better. And I think in this instant gratification society, we really also find it hard to know that there's no silver bullet answers. Um, we have to realize we don't know it all. And you know, technology and other you know means can't answer it all for us. And it reminds me of this article that Nicholas Carr wrote, and it was from a decade ago. And most articles from a decade ago are irrelevant, not this one. Um, but it's titled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And he wrote it in The Atlantic. 
And I still have my students read this because it really does, it has that staying power today. Um, there's so much gray area and we have to pause and think through things. Um, I think that's a lesson I try to teach in my classroom, just stop and pause. But I find it really hard to pause these days. Mm -hmm. I teach this and mm -hmm. I still find it hard. How important is this pause in terms of succeeding and having a good life? If you're talking about pausing, sometimes people call it unplugging. Um, and and with what you're discussing, unplugging really is both literal and met metaphorical. Um, I just got back uh, from Vermont where I was staying somewhere that had no cell service. And the first two days, you're pacing around. You're driving to town so that you can get a couple of bars and make sure you haven't had any voice. And then after a couple of days, you just let it go. And it is so liberating. And, um, you know, I think that the more pervasive technology becomes in our life, and I, and I don't say that in a negative way, but this idea of the what they call the Internet of Things, where it's not just that you're online or just that there's a World Wide Web out there, or just that you have a smartphone. It's now that everything you have is talking to every other device that you have. And so it becomes all the more consuming. Um, one of the ways that you can measure technology is that if it becomes so intricate that you no longer notice it in your life, that's when it's truly embedded. And so I think that's where most of us are. You have to go somewhere. And for me, it was a conscious choice um, to get some time away, but also have a vacation and um, do some writing. And so I made the conscious choice. But then when you come back to the real world, you don't have that choice. You're working. You're teaching. Um, so I think you just sometimes maybe the answer is to step away to have a little detox, to be able to to more uh, accurately assess your use of uh, technology and and reliance on it, um, and and to be more conscious of it, to make a plan. If you don't do the the app on your or the the feature on your phone that tells you from week to week how much screen time you're using, you totally should. And I take it like a challenge. Like if if it says that I spent an average of, you know, three hours on my phone, I want to take it down to two the next week. So I kind of use it as a motivating factor. Yeah, that's a great, and that's a great way to do it. And if you really only do three hours on your phone, good on you. I think you really are living that good life. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I thought it was a lot. And then I started asking other people what, and they were hesitant to tell me. Yeah. And it's because they were seven, eight, nine. Um, and don't get me wrong, sometimes it's a little higher, but I am, I'm, it's funny, you know, you talked about me being a digital humanist, and I think in some ways, because I, I have a, a a fair understanding of the way all of this works, and how it's connected, and what we're using, and how we're using it, and how much time it takes, um, I'm way, I'm way more conscious about it in a way that makes me step back, like I am almost completely inactive on social media. I have no Facebook. I have no Instagram. Um, I have no interest in a lot of the other platforms that are out there. I use Twitter mostly as information and news source. But I don't want to use those things precisely because I know how they work. So um, so I do think it's good to, have, to take an inventory. And if you realize how much you're on it, 
you do. I mean, it's a little bit of an addiction. You do. If you go cold turkey, it's hard. It's really hard. And and the science behind that, because you know this is what I study, right? The dopamine hits we get from social media, especially. Um, that's what it was designed to do, to keep us going, because that's how they... That's how they keep going. That's how Scrolled, they make their money. <laughs> not yeah. only the notifications, but the, you know, the scroll down, the, the the wheel spins and you're just like, am I getting something else? Yeah. Is there more breaking news? Yeah. Or, you or know, does somebody just like something? Yeah. Um, it it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. And I think of, you know, you and I kind of relate. Uh, Vermont made me think of Henry David Thoreau and how he used to go to Walden Pond. And we joked about that while you were there. I was texting you, which um, I was totally distracting you. I was your distraction. <laughs> um, my name's Jen. I have a problem. I distract Mary Ellen. Um, so, but, you know, these technology, these alerts, even like a notification, your cell phone buzzing or, you know, having to check Instagram the minute you wake up or going to bed and, and going on TikTok because it's kind of, it is kind of a stress relief, right? Mm -hmm. um, but do you think these are kind of getting us away from a good life. Well, if you if you haven't seen Social Dilemma, I would I would recommend that. And a and a quote that is from that film that I think is uh, is telling about what you're getting at is uh, one of the one of the interviewees said, you know, the question isn't uh, do you look at your phone in the morning. It's do you look at your phone before you go to the bathroom. Or while you're going to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's how like how much it is in our lives. So the answer to that is is a little bit more complicated, I think. Because yes, in terms of time, I think we do need to think about technology in moderation. We need to celebrate it and use it for all the amazing things that it does. But as far as <clears throat> as far as it interfering with the social interaction that we have with one another, um, I think we need to be more aware of that. I mean, how many times have you walked down a hall or walked into a room or gone to the doctor's office and and there are people that 15 years ago would have been having a conversation and instead they're alone together. Um, and they're all in a group, heads down. Um, and so we're missing a lot of that, a lot of that human Interaction. The reason I say it's more complex is because then the next level of that is that then it affects people's ability to be able, their perception, their social, their ability to pick up on social cues, their ability to talk to one another, to talk to adults, kids talking to kids. Um, and so I think that's going to have potentially, you know, a, a longer ripple effect um, on society. And then one more step above that is that just aside from the, the the dopamine hits and the need to check your phone all the time or be on your laptop or what have you, is the information that we are being fed. And that's leading us um, with the polarization of society and the silos of media and the algorithms that are out there that is um, – also driving us in in uh, directions that are that are not good for the for the long term. I mean, it, so it's like this. It's like this really like a three legged stool of different things. I think that we we need to be more aware of. Um, Walt Whitman said, "Be curious, not judgmental." And I think that that technology um, allows us to be curious, but sometimes makes us more judgmental. Mm -hmm. And I think that. 
that um, if we're not careful, we get sort of sucked down the rabbit hole and not even know it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, you don't. The other quote from that from that documentary, um, <clears throat> the quote that I love the most from the social dilemma is, "How do you know how to get out of the matrix if you don't know you're in it?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we showed that documentary in our class, and the kid I mean, the students were just, their minds were blown. Like, it was, <laughs> it was, it was uh, yeah. And I, I plan on showing that. I mean, and they have the, the best experts in there, you know, Renee DeResta and others who have studied this for such a long time. So getting back to that Matrix quote from the documentary, which is really powerful, um, I think some people do know they're in it. And they just get enjoyment out of this, right? You get enjoyment. I mean, TikTok's is the number one app right now, right? With social media, um, Instagram, pretty pictures. It's it's nice. It's a great escape. So what is that? Like, where's the meaning there? Is there, and, and I think in the pandemic, is there a good side, you know, without this connection in the pandemic where we couldn't see people, where we had to stay awake because there's this crazy virus? Uh, is there a good side to the tech? Absolutely. Just like with anything else, Everything should be in moderation, though. That, I think that's where you draw the line. If you have to have a drink, you know, then you might have a drinking problem. If you have to have your phone on and alerting you every 30 to 60 seconds, then you are reaching a place, whether it makes you happy or not, that it might not be healthy. Um, or that it might not, it's certainly an indication that it, that your life might be a little out of balance. And if we're circling back to this idea of the good life, one of the big components, I think, of the good life is is balance. 100%. Um, I also love something. We both do this. We've talked about it. But you taught me a word recently. And this is a way to kind of get off your screen, though I listen to podcasts while I do this. Disclosure. Uh, but you introduced me to this word, peripatetic. Did I get it right? You got it right. <laughs> I got it right. So tell our listeners what this means and how this can help us, help us think deeply, how how this can help us live maybe a better life, a good life. So crazy enough, we're like going back to the ancients again. Here we go. <laughs> it's like, and if you if you need those of you who are listening, if you if you know the the philosophers, but you can't even remember what order they came in, I've got an acronym for you. It's Socrates and Plato, then Aristotle, SPA. Okay, and then just go to the spa and relax. Um, So Socrates taught Plato. Plato taught Aristotle. And I was in graduate school, and I read this word, peripatetic, which I thought was weird. When I looked it up, because I I kept a vocab list. I mean, I am a self-proclaimed, very proud nerd. (laughs) And so anytime I was reading a text and I came across a word that I didn't know, a lot of times I could figure out what it meant by the context, but I just started my own vocab list, and it was a great way to boost my vocabulary. And you don't have to be in graduate school. I'd say this is a great idea for anybody. If you don't know what a word is, write it down, define it, keep a list, and then like work it into your conversations or if you're writing something. And so this was a stumper, though, because Peripatetic looked it up, and it basically said an Aristotelian, one who subscribes to to Aristotle or Aristotelian philosophy. And I was like, but then the secondary definition was that it meant um, a person giving, a person given to walking or traveling. And I was like, how did those two things, I mean, those, 
Like, why don't you just say someone's Aristotelian? Why do you say they're peripatetic? So I started digging a little bit more. And what I realized was that if you translate it from the ancient Greek, it, it does mean to walk about. But also Aristotle's school was called peripatos. And that is means same thing, like walking around. And so the ancient urban legend, I guess, if you will, for that behind that was that he had his school and it met in the open air in one of the ancient buildings and that he would walk between the colonnades while he was lecturing. But I like to think that Aristotle also um, named his school that and this term uh, is connected to him because he was always thinking about um, what the good life meant. And to him, the good life was about experience. He really based a lot of his ideas in the term valor and experience, uh, exploration and reason. Those are some of the key tenets of Aristotle. And so I like to think that he also named the school and that this this term was not only uh, is used to describe him and his ideas, but also because he believed that the best way to learn about life and to and what the good life is all about is to journey. Is to take. It's the journey itself. It's the experience, and it's traveling from place to place and learning from the people uh, that you meet and the experiences that you have. And so, what I realized was, I was peripatetic. Yeah, and and not being stuck in your bubbles, right? Because I think we do, especially a lot of us, and I've been guilty of this too. Um, I grew up in a very small town. It's all I knew. Um, my parents did, you know, get us out uh, traveling in the summers. They were teachers, so it was easy to travel in the summers. But to learn other cultures, to learn other people, just to learn, like, the state next door was important, right? To get out in nature. Um, and that's the other part of peripatetic that I take from it. Like, when I'm walking in nature, I'm learning, you know, I'm listening in my head. I'm kind of thinking and processing because we don't have that pause. Back to that pause we were talking mm -hmm. about. That's where I find my pause. And I like make myself walk every day. And there's science that backs that up too, that walking helps us think, walking that makes us more creative. Um, so I, I do think that's one way to escape is to schedule into your day, you know, a 20 minute walk mm -hmm. where you just think. And again, I'm guilty. I put podcasts on, but it's a, it's a form of thinking because I listen to these really wonderful and well, sometimes podcasts. even that can be meditative yeah you know exactly. music too like listening to music while you're doing something mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to mean you're you know you're not you don't have to like henry david throw it you don't have to like go sit <laughs> in the middle of the woods necessarily although you're more than welcome to i think i might want to the, the two children and you know like the chaos <laughs> of everything like the, the woods sounds nice sometimes so 20 minutes in the woods isn't so bad um i want to get back to happiness because i think that's this is a term too we talk about a lot and i bought this sign while i was living in new york city and i recently hung it up in my daughter's room it has these bubblegum pink and purple letters and i literally i just love it uh, i think it was always meant for a child's room but i've had it in my offices i've had it everywhere i've gone so i finally put it in my child's room but it said Happiness is not a destination, it's a way of life. And I know it might be a little woo-woo, but here we are, this is me. Um, I really think this past year, especially in the pandemic, it was hard to remember this. And I had this bright sign staring at me every day. But even on darker days, like you're someone who I consider just really optimistic and happy. And you have this way about you because I know people are listening to you, but I've, I've gotten to be with you in the pandemic the past year, teach with you, and you are really happy and you're really, <laughs> you are, and, and just so thoughtful and 
balanced. I would say so many words like that. But how do you find happiness? Because we all have dark days. How do you find that even when you're having kind of a crap day? Seriously, I'm not going to be able to fit out this door. My head's going to be so big <laughs> by the time you, you – no, I appreciate like such – you saying such kind thing. I mean, it makes me feel good. I think I think I just got my own dopamine hit on on that one. Well, there you go. You just have to come on this podcast. That's and get your right. Dopamine hit there. <laughs> um, no, you know, I think um, I. I mean, some of it. You know, there's always this nature versus nurture conversation, and I think I think part of it is like I'm just naturally energetic and naturally. Um, sort of an A-type personality, a little bit of a go-getter. You mentioned me being a point guard, so I'm used to, like, I, I, I don't I, I don't need to score the points. I don't need the credit, but I, I do like to make an assist. I like to help other people be successful, but I don't mind being successful in the process. So, um, you know, I think that for me, being happy is um, really seizing the, seizing the day. I say it a lot, like carpe diem, and I'm going to throw another quote at you. It's one of my favorites. Emily Dickinson said, forever is composed of nows. And so you've got this short game and you've got this long game. And I feel like I'm always thinking about both. I'm thinking about what can I do today, not only for myself, but for other people. And I think that's a big part of it, too. I, I And I, I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent. I, I want to know the person who makes my sandwich in the sandwich shop just as much as I want to know my students just as much. I mean, I, I have always felt like relationships are really, really important. And even if you're not going to have a deep relationship with someone, I think just being kind to people and civil to people, you'd be surprised how many people uh, that might be you know, cleaning the halls, how few people say hello to them when you walk by. So I think it's sometimes it's just the little things. And I'm not saying this in a, in a conceited way, but then when you do that, it, then you feel better too. I mean, it's, you know, this reciprocal thing. Um, but back to, you know, the short game and the long game. So I try on a day-to-day -day basis, like if I'm in a good mood and I can help other people be in a good mood, then, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. It's like everybody feels better. Everybody leaves feeling better. So what's the point in being pessimistic and negative? I guess that's one way to look at it. Um, but I then also think that the if you're talking about the long game, you know, I've had a very non-traditional path to being at Belmont as an assistant professor in interdisciplinary studies and my PhDs in history, you know, so it's been a very long journey. Again, Aristotle there. But do things if you fail we've talked about failure if you fail find another way you know stick a yet on the end of that sentence and try not to be discouraged every problem has a solution and so i think i, I try not to let um setbacks or failures get me down and i think that helps in the long game but um yeah i just i do my best to um when, when sometimes when people make me mad, students are irritating me or pushing me, um, or adults. Adults can can push just as much, and so I try to even when I'm when I'm coming back, uh, try to do so with kindness if possible. And I'll say, "You need to stop taking advantage of my good nature," mm. instead of blowing up. You know, so I try to find ways to make it um, try to diffuse the situation.
yeah. a lot of times. So, um, so I try to do all of those things. I also try to be direct because I think that helps. I think if, um, you know, if you're blowing smoke or if you're telling people things that aren't really true or, you know, like, oh, that haircut looks great. Well, you know, if it doesn't, then just don't say anything. So I think I try to be direct. I try to be honest. Um, and, uh, I try to keep those lines of communication open and establish those good relationships with people. Yeah, that's really important. And I think it's something you said, you know, be nice to the people cleaning the hallways. I always tell my students, my husband worked for Larry King for many years. He was the janitor at the radio station. Someone didn't show up for the shift. He became, you know, the radio midnight radio announcer and boom, you know, Larry King was born uh, very successful. He had just recently passed away, but a very successful TV host for many years um, and had, you know, you not been nice to the janitor of the hallway. That was Larry King, right? You well, just yeah. never know. And if you, if you, you know, the, the say a lot of people talk about um, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, then you'll never treat a waiter or waitress or server badly again or you'll never be a bad tipper and you know I've, I've served like in the food industry and some other places so you do you see what it's like on the on the other side and you know just a little bit of kindness goes a really long way yeah. and um you know we all know that the world needs more of that for sure yeah well that's that's a great key to happiness kindness empathy all these things go hand in hand all right, Mary Ellen, this brings us to the final minutes of the podcast. Welcome to the speed round of questions. I did not warn you about this, so. Love it, bring it. <laughs> I was born ready. <laughs> so in, a, uh, just a few, in just a few words, in the final two minutes of the show, tell me, what does the word grounded mean to you? Grounded, um, hopefully not on a tarmac in an airplane, but the other grounded, I would say, um, it means to be realistic, but to also be hopeful. It means finding the balance between humility and hubris. It means finding the balance between patience and passion. Love it. What's keeping you grounded right now? I think, as odd as it might sound, what's keeping me grounded right now is work, in a way. Um, I'm writing a new book. And I am uh, interviewing a lot of women who were involved in Title IX and uh, the passage of Title IX, which affected women's sports and the expansion of women's sports and equity. And I have been interviewing them, transcribing their interviews and writing chapters. And what they went through, their stories, other people keep me grounded and learning about them and learning about their struggles and how they handled um, how they handled adversity and how they made change in the world. It's, um, you know, it's, it, it helps not only keep me grounded, but also helps keep me going. How do you funnel through or block out the noise? And whether that's, you know, a phone buzzing or that voice of doubt or uncertainty in your head? I would say the way that I block it out, I go to a coffee shop and I put in my earbuds and I pick, you know, um, let's see, what am I listening to right now? I'm listening to a little beach house, a little Sufjan Stevens, um, you know, stuff that kind of is, is kind of like mellows you out a little bit. And I just um, uh, read. If you had to sum up your purpose in five words or less, what would you say? I would say be kind, good humor, and carpe diem. 
That's I six. went six. I know. Sorry. <laughs> You're always pushing the limits with me. <laughs> over, over one. Well, Mary Ellen, thank you so much again for joining us. I can't wait to read your latest book, which comes out next year. And we're going to tag that previous book that you wrote called Athens of the New South in our show notes. These books have so much purpose and I truly always learn so much from you. So again, thank you for taking time away from your very busy schedule to join us. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of quotes uh, throughout this. So I'm going to I'm going to end on an original. Uh, Be good. And if you can't be good, be careful. Okay, there you go. You heard it here. Grounded on Purpose is produced by myself and Jess Alexi. Music by Jess Alexi and Mike Lexi. Thank you.